0: What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Conor O'Gheera. Will, the bandwagon team, is locked in. I waited until after the SEC semifinals to make it official. Drumroll, do we do that? Do we do that? Here we go, okay. I'm going with Arkansas. And as Adam and many said in the initial tweet wherein I reached out for a bandwagon team, Arkansas checks all the boxes that I wanted. I mean, really, I I couldn't do Mizzou, Florida, Tennessee. Just, I I don't think they have the Elite Eight upside, though. Like, probably what's going to happen, John Fulkerson, he's going to come back and he's going to lead the Vols on a run with a black eye. I could totally see him getting some face time with the black eye on one shining moment. Like, picture that clip right now. You could definitely see that face on one shining moment. Who knows how rough of shape he's going to be in, though. That Omar Payne elbow was just nasty. I then thought about what it would be like to take an elbow from uh, from Eve Pons, that like you know guy who's just yoked out of his mind and looks like a cartoon character. That doesn't really seem fun. Uh, wouldn't want to do that. Why not LSU? Why why didn't I get on the LSU bandwagon? I actually picked Arkansas as my bandwagon team after they lost to LSU. So why not LSU? LSU feels like the crazy, unhealthy relationship you have when you're young. It's the relationship that like makes you get in fights when you're in public. That's like being at a bar and yelling when LSU jacks up these 30-footers that have 18 seconds left on the shot clock or something. And you hold on because you're like, man, when it's good, it's so great. Tom Hart, when he was calling the uh, LSU Old Miss quarterfinal game, Old Miss starts coming back and L. Joyner goes full Marshall Henderson, and they say something on the broadcast like, what happened to LSU's defense? And I think the answer, to a certain extent, was, uh, they got back to being LSU. Um... I just can't do it, can't do it. I, I will say I loved that version of Trenton Watford. I, I think SEC Hoops needs more of that. He and Alex Reese going back and forth. That, that interaction was just incredible. Probably a better moment because they didn't have the fans and you can kind of make out what exactly they were jawing about. But that was, that was fun to see. But LSU, not the bandwagon team. Why not Bama? Why not Bama? I get Bama only has the one NCAA tournament win in the last decade. But Bama's the school that's winning everything right now. And don't get it twisted. Like I love this team. Quinterly, so fun to watch off the bench. Shackleford as Adam said, it's Alabama's a different team when he gets going. And Herb Jones, in case Dickie V, hasn't said it enough. Just such a complete player. I love that they actually play defense and they take pride in that side of the ball. I think Nate Oates is the real deal. I have more thoughts on that in a minute here. I actually have Bama going to the final four, Ooh. losing to Gonzaga. I didn't go full skip bayless, couldn't do that. That's that's the, probably the first and only skip bayless reference we're going to make on this podcast. Can't say I'm going to make many more of those. They do the one thing though that's tough to stomach for a, a fan base of an elite team. They love playing in the close games. 7 of the last 10 were decided by or 7 of the last 11 were decided by 10 points or less. That's their identity. And I don't necessarily want to deal with that kind of intensity throughout a potential deep run into the tournament. That's not to say Arkansas is not going to have close games. They probably will. But Arkansas, on the other hand, 16 of their 22 wins came by double figures. I love the Justin Smith thing. As I said, shout out to our hometown, Buffalo Grove, Illinois. Shout out to our former school, Indiana. Moody, of course, great when he recognizes that he has to take over. I actually like... That less people are going to be high in Arkansas, too. I I don't know. I I, I find myself saying, well, if they had won the SEC tournament, everybody's all in on Arkansas. They're the hot, you know, probably the second hottest team in the country, with the exception of Gonzaga, of course. But, you know, I'm actually not really worried about Arkansas after the LSU loss, game in which they have 16 turnovers, shot 23% from deep, a lot of ill advised shots, still almost won that game. I'm still all aboard the must bus probably not gonna live tweet the games but maybe you never know you never know we're just gonna see how all in i go i only have arkansas going to to the elite eight but if they get to the final four or something like that you know i'm I'm a diehard so that was my thought process what went into all of this well you know how some people say that brackets are like fantasy football teams like nobody cares about yours i am actually look look i am the opposite when that first game starts and everyone's pick in my bracket pool, which remind me to send you uh, an invite to my bracket pool, I, need, I still need to do that, mm-hmm. I dig into what everyone has. And I love going through what each what each you know person has and how that could play out. So I'm legitimately interested when I say this. Have you filled out your bracket yet?
1: No. So I'm weird with the brackets. I remember one time I was in the Orlando Magic media room, right? And it was when Michigan State lost to, I think, Stephen F. Austin. And... Everybody in there was miserable, except for me, because I had forgotten to get mine in on time, and I was having the best day. And I looked around, and I went, which part do I want to be on here? Oh, no. (laughs) I want to be on Team Chaos. Like, I want to be able to flip my takes week by week. Okay. I want to see a bad team and say they're good and just halftime. I'll switch teams at halftime. I don't care.
0: Yeah, I love that. I I have no problem with the person who does that. The Darren Revels of the world who are just going to poo-poo the entire bracket thing. All right, like that's that's a little bit much. But if you want to just consume it for all the chaos, I have no problem with that whatsoever. But exciting time, very exciting time. Plan for today, we've got Matt Hayes. Matt has written a couple of really interesting things on First and 10 the last couple of weeks about Georgia, this title window, as well as the Dan Mullen Florida relationship. So I wanted to get into all that stuff with him. A little peel behind the onion here. So I talked to Matt over Twitter and, and, and elsewhere, but I actually hadn't texted with him since December. And on Saturday, I'm eating breakfast and I was actually typing out the text to send to Matt to see if he could come on the podcast. And like, while that's happening, and I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but it always freaks me out. And it especially freaks me out when it's somebody that I haven't texted with in three months. While that's happening, he texted me about a totally unrelated matter. It was the most bizarre thing in the world. But anyway, Good to be able to talk a little bit of Florida, Georgia stuff with Matt, who is just super, super plugged in. I've also got some stuff about the rare elite basketball football coaching combo in the SEC, and then we're going to end with the topic of jersey wearing for adults. That's an That's in figuring it out. Really, really fun stuff. Uh, Facebook group just crushed it on that one. So that's going to be a lot of fun to get to. But before we do all of that, today's podcast is brought to you by the newest podcast under the Saturday Down South umbrella, College Football Uncensored. It is Marler and Tyler Huck talking about everything in college football and then some. If you haven't yet, go subscribe to their podcast. It's year-round college football content. And hey, No bleep button needed from Will. You get actual curse words in a college football podcast. As I've said before, it's an exciting time for us at SDS because for the last few years, it was just the one podcast that we did. Now we get to sort of divide and conquer to capture the interests of every college football fan because, as we know, not everyone has the same taste. I know they've got some fun, fun stuff in the works, and if you have not yet, go to wherever you subscribe to podcasts and search College Football Uncensored. I saw something that NATO said after Alabama won the SEC Championship. It really stuck with me. No, I'm not talking about the part where he told LSU or Will Wade to go. Not not talking about that. Um, I actually do love that a coach can be that hype after a game, and I love that that was caught on camera, even if he did kind of face like some of the, oh, you know, he's not being classless, or he's, you know, he's being classless in the heat of the moment, act like you've been there before. Whatever. I actually think SEC hoops need some of that bad blood. I wouldn't mind if that happened after every LSU Bama basketball game. Nate Oates, what he said was, we don't have to be a football school or a basketball school. We just win championships. Alabama became the first SEC school since Florida in 2006-2007 to sweep the football conference title, the basketball regular season title, and the basketball conference tournament title. Those Florida programs had what Alabama athletic director Greg Byrne is hoping and praying he has right now in Tuscaloosa. That is two coaches who are both elite in their professions. That's what Urban Meyer and Billy Donovan were. That that program obviously won national titles, both football and basketball. Alabama's trying to do the same thing. First time that's ever happened in the same school year, at least in a post-integrated world where we're not talking about, you know, pre-World War I times and fake national championships, all that stuff. That's still on the table for Alabama. But what Greg Byrne is, is praying and believing he has is his version of Meyer and Donovan. That's why Oates signed that big new extension. If Byrne hits it right, he'll get like maybe five more years of Saban being Saban at this level, and then a decade of Oates competing for yearly SEC titles. Go back to the spring of 2007. Florida's coming off back-to-back titles in basketball, of course. And yeah, Noah, Horford, Brewer, all those guys are gone. It's going to be a big rebuild for Billy Donovan. But Billy Donovan's about to turn 42 years old. Urban also 42 years old at the time. He signed that big six-year extension in June. Nobody, though, would have guessed that Urban wouldn't finish the remainder of that contract. Every athletic director in America would have killed to be in the same spot that Florida Athletic Director Jeremy Foley was in. And look, out of those two guys, Florida still got, after that point, another football national title, got a Heisman, Got three more top 15 finishes in football from Urban. And then in basketball from Donovan, you got three more SEC regular season titles. Made four trips to the Elite Eight, including one of the Final Four. Foley would have taken that 10 times out of 10. Now, every athletic director in America would love to trade places with Greg Bren. Why? Because it's next to impossible to hit it at the right time with two guys in the big revenue sports. Let's start in the SEC. Will, since the start of the 2016-17 school year, which is, what, like, that's four and a half years ago, how many SEC schools have had the same football and basketball coach?
1: Oh, man.
0: God, there has been so much coaching turnover.
1: Malzahn's gone, too. Um, Wow, man. I'm going to guess, so Kentucky's won. That might be the end of my guesses, man.
0: I, I feel like everybody's gotten fired you sir are absolutely correct wow just one and all signs point to stoops and cal being at kentucky for a decade if they're together for two more school years that'll happen let's go back to the 1980-81 school year as the starting point point. and no that's not a georgia joke how many times have we seen basketball football coaches who are at the same sec school together for 10 years speaking of Georgia in 1980 jokes Vince Dooley Hugh Durham they had 11 years together but actually for this argument only nine of them came if we're using that 1980-81 start day same exact thing in Tennessee Johnny Majors Don DeVoe they had 11 years together but only nine of them were during that period if we're using 1980-81 as that start date The longest other concurrent SEC coach stretches for basketball and football. Pat Dye and Sonny Smith, they had eight years together at Auburn in the 80s. Bobby Johnson, Kevin Stallings, they also had eight years together at Vandy. That was in the 2000s. And again, now Stoops and Cal, they have eight years together at Kentucky. But other than that, that's it. Urban and Billy, they got those six years together. It's the type of dual sports success that when you go to a wedding a decade after the fact with people who were there for part of it, they tell you about how cool of a time that was. As I've said before in this podcast, that happened to me a couple years ago. It was, it was pretty cool. It was a fun conversation to be able to have. That's the type of run that made a 16-year-old kid living in the suburbs of Chicago go, man, I wish I could go to school at Florida. That's the type of stuff that this can yield when you hit it right with both coaches. In the SEC, though, it's just always so fleeting for whatever reason. Sure, we've seen really, really good individual years for the football-basketball combos. Go back to 1982-83 at Georgia. Herschel's last year. They lose to Penn State in the national championship. Basketball team goes to its first and last Final Four. Go figure, that was actually the year after Dominique Wilkins. They ran into that Jim final team, lost in the semifinals to NC State. Hugh Durham got another 12 years after that, but he only won one NCAA tournament game. 2005-2006 at LSU. This is a year that you probably remember very well, Will. Les Miles. 11-2, and two, year one, first year of the post-saving era. John Brady leads the basketball team to the Final Four. Shout-out to Tyrus Thomas, who my very, very near and dear friend Ben DeLeon still thinks is the second coming of, I don't know, Julius Irving maybe, but he's still convinced that he's going to be better than Joakim Noah, even though the careers are now officially over. Give him a couple more Whatever. years. Listen, give Tyrus Thomas a couple more years. He's almost there. couple more years, a couple more big contracts. Tyrus Thomas, he's going to be fine. He'll figure it out. Two years after that happens at LSU, LSU football wins national title. Brady is fired, though. That's basically the exact same timeline as 93-94 at Florida. Spurrier goes 11-2. Lon Kruger leads Florida to the Final Four. Two and a half years later, Florida wins the national title in football. But that happened a few months after Lon Kruger left for Illinois. And then there's obviously 2006, 2007 Florida, and now 2020, 2021 Alabama. Why has that success been so fleeting? Does this all go back to the original point that NATO's tried to debunk? That is, there are football schools and there are basketball schools. Our brains, for whatever reason, struggle to wipe away what decades have told us. And as time passes, those identities become more entrenched. But let's think about the dynamics at play here. Obviously, football is king in the South, not breaking any news by saying that. Always has been, always will be. That's not changing. So how does that impact basketball coaches? Unless you're Kentucky with Cal or Vandy with Tim Corbin in baseball, the football coach is going to be the king of the campus. His contract is going to be the first one to get negotiated. He's the one with the program associated with booster support. Go back to when Lon Kruger left Florida for Illinois in 96. Jeremy Foley fought and still couldn't keep Lon Kruger from leaving Florida for Illinois. He went to a basketball school where there was no Steve Spurrier. Kruger was frustrated with the lack of fan support at Florida. Florida's average annual attendance, if you go back and look, it dropped by 2,000 fans that season. The year that they went to the Final Four a couple years earlier, they had roughly 10,000 fans per game. They couldn't even sell out their own arena. The average attendance was 2,000 less than capacity. Illinois, however, averaged 15,000 fans that season before Kruger goes there. And that was for a team who finished ninth in the Big Ten. It didn't matter that Lon Kruger had five years left on his deal at Florida. Jeremy Foley did everything he possibly could have done to keep him. Hey, it worked out pretty well for Florida. They hired this 30-year-old kid named Billy Donovan. And I definitely, just saying that, had a minor freakout realizing that Billy Donovan's the exact same age. Then, when he accepted the floor job that I am right now, we even both have the May birthdays. That's an odd thing to come to grips with. But whatever the case, getting sidetracked. If Nate Oates is really good at his job, that dynamic is always going to be brought up. It came up this past week. My alma mater, Indiana, they fire Archie Miller. They pay that eight-figure buyout. People are immediately like, hey, what about Nate Oates? Wouldn't he love to go to a basketball school like Indiana? They say in 49 states, it's just basketball. Assembly Hall, it's the Carnegie Hall of college basketball. But then that's quickly shut down. Oates is going to be a fascinating case study in this. And maybe Eric Musselman, too. I should definitely include him as well. And that's assuming that Eric Musselman gets this new deal, which I, I think that's imminent. Assuming he doesn't get poached by a big school, I would probably assume that Hunter Juracek, who has been so good with support, you heard Sam Pittman talk about it on this podcast, I would assume that he's going to get that figured out and they're going to get him signed to that long-term deal. The question is if this dynamic is actually changing. Both Alabama, Arkansas are what I would call football crazy schools. And they love their basketball. Don't get it twisted, but Arkansas at the same time, we're talking about a quarter century without making it to the, se- to the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Are we entering a time where in TV contracts are booming and there's more fan interest in basketball for us, for the SEC? Are we entering a time now with those things where you really could hit it big with two coaches at the same time in this league? I think that the interest in basketball is just so huge in that. And weekends like this past one, that certainly helps. That tournament was incredible down to the very last second. I thought it actually helped that there's no Kentucky as well. And I get that Kentucky would have been kind of the villain, but I love that it was actually two football-focused schools. Neither had won a conference tournament in the 21st century. And they, they get the title of the New Bloods, which I love that. And I'm very much frustrated that I didn't come up with that myself and I wasn't creative enough. On the broadcast, though, they made so many of these football references, and you might have gotten sick of that if you're listening to it, but that's probably not going away, at least for a little bit. Maybe this is going to yield like what Michigan State had for a bit. Tom Izzo, Mark D'Antonio, they were together for 13 years. And even though it ended badly for D'Antonio, it was still what every AD would love to have with the two major revenue sports. For about four to five years, MSU was kind of one of these both schools. That just doesn't happen. Ohio State had that while Florida did back in the day with Donovan and Urban. But Ohio State might actually have that right now. Chris Holtman, kind of the Big Ten version of Nate Oates, The Buckeyes have two elite coaches in their 40s. Not quite Donovan and Meyer because they don't necessarily have the national championship pedigree yet, but it's pretty close. In theory, Ohio State should be set for a long time, but Ohio State is still gonna have to deal with the lingering thing of, well, what happens when Cal retires at Kentucky? Because Chris Holtman grew up in Lexington and he was a diehard Kentucky fan as a kid. I don't know what his future holds. I don't know what the future holds for Nate Oates at Alabama. One has to be optimistic, though, especially with the brand of basketball that his teams play. His personality is infectious. Whatever the case, I do know this. It is just so, so hard to be known as what Oates described. That is, just a school that wins championships. Let's go to my interview with Matt Hayes. We got uh, a lot of Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart stuff. Matt is one of those people, for those of you who don't know, or maybe you haven't heard him on this podcast before, he's one of those people that he can say or write something that I might initially disagree with, but then I'll think about it more, I'll file it away in the memory bank, and then I'll kind of come back to it. And the vast majority of the time, he ends up being right about it. So here is my interview with Matt Hayes. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Matt Hayes. Matt, I, I've got a bunch of different college-related things that I want to get to, but before we do that, I'm curious. You're in Jacksonville, so you've seen the start of the Urban Maya era up close. Besides the whole like hiring and then unhiring Chris Doyle thing, and then realizing, oh yeah, I'm not in college anymore. I can't really do that. How's everything going with your buddy Urban? Is is Jacksonville all in on him yet? <laughs> I think Jacksonville
2: was all in on him day one, Connor. Um, I mean, I, I you know, I think Herb's motivated. He clearly is. You know, he he's not gonna get back into football unless he was in a place where he thought he could do something unique and something special. Um, you know, he's like most coaches. You're not gonna go to a place where it's all set up. Where you gotta go where it's you gotta build a little bit because of, you, know, you got you gotta want people to want more instead of it's already there and you just gotta continue to get better. So uh, he's found a spot that's got a number one overall pick and it's got. The most cap space in the NFL has got you know, a lot of NFL picks and he's draft picks and he's excited about turning it around. I mean, the, the the downside to that is there's a long history of just failure with this franchise. And, you know, they, they've made bad move after bad move on, in both free agency and the draft. Um, terrible at drafting quarterbacks. Now they're in a, in a situation where they're right in it now, man. I mean, you got Trevor Lawrence staring you right in the face. So You get Trevor Lawrence and – And you hope he stays healthy and you build around him and you see what happens. It's it's the people here in this city are very excited like they haven't been born in long, long time. Um and and it's you know, I I feel happy for them because, you know, I used to live here uh in in the in the nineties and it was you know, when they were really good early, this place was crazy. And then they had this huge lull where they were just terrible. One of the worst, if not the worst franchises uh in the NFL. And, And you know, it's a great football talent. It's a great fan base that's very, very passionate. You know, they deserve something like this. They've gone through a lot of crap, to be honest, for almost two decades now with, like, you know, one or two seasons here and there, hit and miss seasons, you know, just little pockets of success. Um, they're all in, man. They are all in. I, I, I you know, The history of college coaches in the NFL is, for the most part, not that good. There are certainly some guys that have hit big. Um and you would think a guy like Urban Meyer, who clearly is a terrific coach, I mean you would say all you want about him off the field in college and how he built things in college. That's you know, that is what it is. But as a coach, as a football guy, I mean there there are a few like him.
0: Let's stay with coaches in the state of Florida. Let's. We can even stay within the urban coaching tree. The, the Dan Mullen thing, it's weird. And I've talked about it on this podcast before. You wrote about it recently in First and Ten. I see the comments. I know that there are some, not all, but at least some Florida fans who think that this is some media narrative and they say, you're out of your mind if you think the guy with three consecutive New Year's <laughs> Six Bowls is going anywhere anytime soon. The people who say that, though, they, they never come up with the answer to the question of, okay, then why hasn't he signed an extension yet? Because... Coaches with three years left on their deals almost always get that done, especially those who win games like Mullen. The people I've talked to about this situation said that there's absolutely some bad blood there with Mullen and Strickland because of how Mullen acted off the field last year. Tell those listening at home why this situation isn't so black and white about wins and losses and why it goes beyond that.
2: Well, uh, honestly, Connor, right now it is about wins and losses because the fact that he's won 29 games in three years and the fact that... He's taken them to three straight near six bowls. It's probably why he's on the job right now. Uh, too I, too I, too I think you know you you look at you look at what he's done on the field and how how he's turned that program around and and, you know, and they you know they had a lost decade there with with uh, and Muschamp and you know if you're Florida what they haven't won the SEC in what twelve years is that right twelve years think about that twelve years in twelve years I think Spurrier won the SEC six times I think five legally who won when they think they should have won when they were on probation. I think that's right. Six, right? Um, So, I mean, think about where they they were, what this fan base expects, and now where they are today before Dan Mullen got the job. So that's really his biggest trump card. That's what he holds more than anything because it's – yeah, you know, and, and we'll get to the to the three instances where he, he behaved poorly and he put the brand in bad light. But what's a bigger deal I think to not only the administration of Florida but to many Florida boosters as well, is he put them on probation. They they he put them on probation for the first time in thirty years. The so last time they were on probation, they were considered basically a rogue program. You know, they were a program that in in and 89 or 90, because they were technically on at nine. that's why they didn't win the SEC. You know, five years prior to that, they had the best team in college football in 84. And and they didn't get, they didn't, they weren't named national champions because they were on probation because of what they did. So they were a bad, bad team as far as cheating in the 80s. And they tried forever to clean that up. When Spurrier got through day one, he said, uh, it, you know, people say, "Can you win?" I said, "Yeah, we can, we can win. We can win. We can not cheat. It can be done. We can beat Georgia. We can win the SEC, and we don't have to cheat because you know we'll get players. You know, want to work, and you know, I'll make sure it happens. And they did, and they did. And I think mean, once that happened, once they saw what what could be when you do it the right way, if you have the right guy, you know, then it was all right. Then we can start doing what we want to do. And they start holding themselves as what they are. They are, you know, they forever have held themselves, Connor, as other than Vanderbilt, as a school in the SEC that does it the right way. You go to Florida, you can get a great education because it's one of the great, one of the great academic institutions in all of America. You can play football at a high level, yada, 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 okay? Look, whether you believe that or not, that was their pitch, okay? That was their pitch. What The idea of the whole student athlete, whether you believe that or not, whatever. The idea was they're an elite academic institution, which they are, and their idea was, look, come play football and this is what you can get. And now... They're on probation, and now their coach has a show cause order. And what a show cause order means is, if, if he gets fired or he quits, the school that hires him when he, within the span of that show cause order has to explain to the NCAA why they should hire him, why he sh- they should be able to hire him. I mean, it's a big deal. It's a big deal when when a coach gets a show cause order. It's a big deal the fact that Dan Mullen knew what he did was wrong when he went to go see the kid in Seattle, when he set it up, he mm-hmm. set it up. He knew what he did was wrong and did it anyway. So he knew he was breaking a rule. So when you start putting all that together, then your main thing is, okay, if my coach is doing this, this guy that I'm paying 5 or 6 or $7 million a year, whatever the, a new contract would be, if he's doing this, if he knowingly is breaking the rules, what else is he doing? And how else and how can I trust him? And, and here's the thing with McIlwain. When McIlwain, when it started to go south with McIlwain, clearly the losses were an issue, okay? Clearly that third bad season was an issue. first two years, they were in the SEC championship game. The third season was terrible, but when you start to, like, lie to your boss, when you're saying, okay, you know, yeah, I've, I've, had, I've had death threats, and, and then your boss says, well, give me the proof, and you don't do it? Because at that point Scott Strickland had to had to make sure the campus was safe. Because if there's death threats among his his family, then it's what could happen on the campus. So he's got to keep the campus safe. If your coach says no, I can't I'm not doing it, then you're out. So all the little things prior to that, what what Jim McElwain did he wasn't really a a, a teen type guy. He wasn't really a guy that was that was about the Gators. Um, you know, he was a guy that if you remember you remember and this one kind of tying to what Dan Long did uh as recently as I think three weeks ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Uh, after Florida beat Iowa in the Outback bowl, it was a press conference and and the media asked Jim McElwain, you know, you know, how he you know, how he thought about Florida's commitment to facilities since when he got there, the facilities are bad, he needed an X Y and Z, and what was your commitment? And he said something along the lines of, I don't know, we'll see what we'll see what happens moving forward. And All his time. His boss, work. Scott Strickland, All is right work. there. <laughs> All his boss, Scott Strickland, is right there in the first time. Literally 20 feet from it. And believe me, that did not sit well. I can guarantee you that did not sit well, okay? Scott is one of the best ADs in the country. He's one of the sharpest guys in the country. He's not putting up that crap. So so the, so when you start doing stuff like, I'm not going to tell you what my death threat was. You know, all that stuff that happened prior then comes right to the forefront, all right? So now let's move to Mullen. So you start out with with the NCAA probation, which to me is crazy because it got almost zero play. It was like it was nothing. It was like it was nothing, and it's a big deal, man. It's a big deal to those people at that institution, and I think it almost got nothing, Connor, because we're at the point now in this era of college football where the idea of paying players... Isn't a bad thing anymore. Um, the idea of doing things the wrong way and make a breaking anti rules isn't a bad thing anymore. And there's so much of push to be more player friendly. And frankly, I've been I've been pushing that player friendly model for like three or four years because I think it's the right thing to do. But the problem with that, the problem with saying give the players an extra year to transfer, uh, I mean, I mean, a free year to transfer, so if you you know they don't have to sit out, um, give the players the name, image, and likeness, um, give them a reason. Uh, to be part more invested in, in what, you, what you're making billions of dollars off, okay? So I've been all for that. But the problem that happens is once that happens, you get more of a pro feel to it. And once that happens, the idea of cheating is no longer a, a, a big deal. And then you start talking about a competitive disadvantage to those who can't cheat as well as the other guys to cheat. You know what I mean? And that's really what the amateur model is all about is it's, it's it's not so much about paying, paying athletes, which is bad, okay? It's about building a competitive disadvantage because you have more money to pay other to pay elite players more than the other guy does. You know what I mean? The idea should be they come to your school because they love your coach or they love your university. And that might be a the guy idea, that might be Pollyanna, whatever you want to call it in this day and age. And you might be right. The idea still exists. It's a competitive advantage. So that's the thing, okay? That's why it's a, it's a bad thing to say in probation. And I know people say, oh, cares? It was cares? He was just uh, you know meeting a kid. Well, he set up the meeting. He texted the kid, set up a meeting at a school the kid didn't attend. So it's, it's, he knew what was wrong and did it anyway. So that's part two of that. How do you trust a guy like that? That's, I think, the greater deal of all. If you're the administration, what else is he doing? So now we'll move forward to this year, the season, okay? The first loss against Texas A&M, tough loss, man, a tough, tough loss. A game they should have won. You know, they fumbled the ball there. Davis fumbled the ball. They had a chance to just run the clock, kick the field goal, one of the best kickers in the country, win the game, get out of it. Get out of that snake pit, which had 50, 40,000, 50,000 fans when it should have had 15,000, okay? At least. He's upset. He's mad. He's mad. He's upset, he's mad, post-game, he starts saying, I want to fill the swamp next week, let's fill the swamp, blah, blah, blah. Two days later, they they got an outbreak of COVID. He's talking about filling a stadium in the early days of a flipping pandemic. He's the face of that university, and he's talking about filling a stadium. Like, you can't do that, okay? So that's one. Then they have the COVID problem, they're out for two weeks. They come back against Missouri. They're struggling early in the game. They're up by like 10 or so in the first half. Uh, he thinks Kyle Traff got hit late, whether you think he did or not. It, it kind of looks like he did to me anyway, but it doesn't matter. Quarterback to players get hit late all the time.
0: But he said he didn't even he see runs it. Runs he, it. he was field. just reacting.
2: Yeah. yeah. Right. So he runs on the field, and he instigates a, a near brawl. And if you don't think yeah. he did, let me just say this to you. Number one, he did. Number two, the SEC office was, furious about it. Furious. The other presidents in the SEC were furious about it. If it was not, if they were not in a pandemic situation this past season, it was just a typical season, my guess is he would have been suspended at least a game. At least. So, so he gets out there and then after he's coming off the field, after it's broken up in halftime, he starts waving fans in the stands like to get them fired up. You know, like, yeah, I started that. Look, let's get it fired up. Let's get everybody going, you know. They win the game, goes in the press conference, dressed as Darth Vader, and people say, "Oh, it's Hollywood, it's Hollywood." Believe me, there was it's Halloween. Believe me, there was double meaning there. There was, yeah, it's Halloween, but I'm Darth Vader. I'm the guy. I'm the guy that did that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Another bad look for the brand of Florida. Okay, you're talking about a brand that you know they spent Spurrier and all those guys, Spurrier and uh, and and Meyer and. And Jeremy Foley and, and, uh, uh, who was the, who was the, who, Bernie Mach and all those guys that built that to where they wanted it. The brand of Florida doing it the right way. Although you can say my urban and the sturdy ref, that's an easy way to soil that after the fact. But those guys built it to where they wanted it to be, right? And then he's breaking this down now. He's breaking this brand down now, slowly but surely. So then comes the cotton bowl. All right. They get blown out by Oklahoma. And he says, well, this wasn't, you know, this was, this was our, this wasn't our, really our team. Our team, last team played and lost in the, in the champion game. So here's a couple things. He sounds like crying. Number two, more importantly, he's minimizing his own players on the field. You recruited those players, Dan. Those young guys and those scout guys that are getting whipped, those are your recruits. And he's minimizing his own staff. Thinking, okay, right. well, they, we didn't work for two weeks. We didn't work for for 15 days because we didn't care. And, and again, what does that show your boss at that point? So all of those things and on top of the NSA probation, that's a big, big issue. Now, to Dan's point of it, Dan's side is this. Dan's side is I'm working on a three-year deal right now. So he's not happy. He hasn't been happy. that His, his contract hasn't been re- renegotiated. Look at all of what I've done. I've won X amount of games. I've done a bunch of these bowl games and before all this played out he had that you know he could have again we're in the middle of a pandemic so it's it's very hard to do something like that but it can be done and it has been done with other schools now Florida's at a point where if you do extend him even if you just give him a year you don't give him any money you just give him make him give him the four years you're you are then rewarding bad behavior you're rewarding what he did so they are in a unique situation. Um, Scott Strickland and, and the President Fox there are in a very unique situation right now for him because do you extend him and reward him for what he did? Because that's a bad look. Do you keep him at three years? He's not going to be happy if he's at three years. Then what happens? So then we go to the Spring Press Conference, okay? And at the Spring Press Conference, you would think that Dan, after all he's been through in this offseason, you would think that he would get in that press conference and it would be, everything would be perfect and he'd be all about the Gators and all about his team, and he's asked about his contract. And he doesn't say, hey, all I care about is this team. I need to get this team ready to win. We had a tough year. You know, We had a chance to win big and we lost some games we shouldn't have lost. I just want to focus on the players. He says his quote was – I don't have a quote in front of me. It's uh, you, know, you know, basically along the lines of that's not, that's not a question for me. It's not a press conference. It's not my press conference, it's someone else's. Ask them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. After all he did in the previous months, he's gonna throw his bosses, Scott Strickland and the president, Fox, under the bus and basically put that on them. So he's it's weird to me. It's almost like, and this is what I wrote. He can he can do the right things and, and work his way out of it and just coach. Be the guy that, that's a, that's a, a, a smart and, and strategic head of a mega program, which he is, or he can be the tantruming, you know, whiner of a, of a program. And when yeah, things go away, he's going he, yeah, he's Yeah, he's not. He's not I, I, I almost think like if people were asking me, well, can he do it? I don't know that he can do it because he is who he is. His personality is not going to change. And I think that it right. showed in that press conference in the spring the spring press conference. His personality will not change. So then you're if you're Florida, what do you do? Do you put up with it because he wins? Or at some point do you say the headache's not worth it? And and it's and it's just well go get someone else. Because it's a program that's proven it can win big. It's a program that's proven, you know, they can attract elite elite uh, players, which oh by the way, he hasn't done that good of a job of recruiting. So it, it's they're both in kind of the, you know unique situations, Florida's kind of uneasy with him. He's uneasy with them. It's it's very odd and it's very strange, but it's kind of a working relationship where it's moving forward because, and this is the only reason, because they're winning.
0: How about I mean, that I for for, some...
2: for a long story short?
0: <laughs> Goodness gracious, that I mean, you hit all the all the points that I wanted to bring up. I want to go to the other side other rivalries, something else that you wrote about in first and 10 this past week, something that a lot of people are talking about. And because, you know, Georgia starts spring camp this week, we've both written about this. We've both talked about this. It's the Georgia hype train. You ask the question that if Georgia doesn't win if Georgia doesn't win this year, can it ever happen again? And and I think some people look at that on the surface and say, well, never's a long time, all it takes is one. And I realize that this is a different sport, but as it relates to title droughts, I mean, I remember thinking that my beloved Chicago Cubs needed to win it all in 2008. Like with the way that that team was constructed and all the expiring contracts and everything, they had to hit it big, and if they didn't, I would just accept that it wouldn't happen in my lifetime. And I realized that's a lot to say as an 18 year old kid, but that's what I was thinking. They had the best record in the National League, then they get swept in the playoffs, by the Dodgers steroid fueled Manny Ramirez hitting 460 foot bombs <laughs> right, off his knee whatever right. that's beside the point Cubs rebuild it the right way and it took another eight years but they ended the drought. what I think Georgia fans will wonder though if it doesn't happen this year is if Kirby Smart maybe isn't the right guy to beat that final level of the video game which is not the only thing that matters in Athens is that what you mean by never or do you truly feel like this is a fork in the road season for Georgia?
2: I don't think it's a fork in the road season. I think w- what it is is they're set up right now. They're really good. Okay, they're really talented, top to bottom. I mean, I would say they're you know, they're. I mean, with with, with with what Ohio State coming back is coming back. I would say Alabama probably has a better roster. Clemson maybe has a better roster, and they're, and they're probably better than Ohio State's roster. So they and any of those four can win it all. So. So they have the ability to win it all talent-wise. And as we all know, players win games. My point, I think, is, you know, it's unfortunate that Kirby was in a situation where he's literally get three plays off the field and you win the national championship, and then Dua comes in and hits his second twenty-six play because they had a broken coverage in the second and They probably won that national championship. And then it's a completely different story right now. You know, but but the moves that he has done... Since he's been there, has contributed to what's going on and why they kind of stagnated a little bit. And and number one, one number one move is Jake Fromm. You know, he he got infatuated with Jake Fromm after that freshman season because who wouldn't? You get a true freshman steps in, you know, after you after your five star guy injures his knee in the first series of the season. Um, Jacob Eason, who you thought was going to be your guy to take you to the promised land, he gets injured after a pretty good freshman season. He gets injured. A true freshman goes in there, and they get all the way to the national championship game, and if they don't bust the coverage in the secondary, they win it all. So why wouldn't Kirby say, I'm not, ch- I'm not changing anything. Even if I've got this crazy elite recruit, Justin Fields, at quarterback, I'll figure a way to keep him happy for a couple years until I win it. The problem is, that's not who Kirby is. Kirby is a best guy plays guy, no matter who you are, no matter what classification you are. So Kirby should have stepped back, instead of being infatuated with what was, In 2017, he should have realized what he had in 2018, and he didn't. And that's what Nick's greatest ability is, other than the fact that he continues to get guys to come to that place, and he continues to get elite players to sit behind other elite players, and he continues to get all those guys, uh, Connor, all those guys to realize, wait, I know we won the gold last year, but there's different gold at the top of that mountain. Let's go get it again. So he does that year after year after year, which I think is just phenomenal, with Nick. But Kirby's big thing was what Nick does. There's no who hated Nick would have said, okay, this guy took me to the, to the uh, promised land. We were, you know, we were close. But this guy, whoa, this Justin Fields dude, we got to do something about this guy. Because, and that's who Kirby is in every other position. Even the quarterback spotting did it. He did it with Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason never got back in the game. So why wouldn't he do it with, with, with Justin Fields? And there was this you know, this narrative out there that Justin Fields didn't pick up the offense. Okay, come on, man. Number one, that's why Justin Fields hasn't really talked at length about it. And I remember talking to him at the national championship or the, or the, or the playoff, the college football playoff uh, media day. You know, He had this look on your face like, you've got to be kidding me. He didn't really want to get Six, into yeah. but it. But, 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 I mean, come on. Jim, Jim Cheney's offense has never been mistaken for this complex offense, all right? Justin Fields didn't play because Kirby wanted Jake Fromm as his quarterback. Period. No doubt. Justin Fields goes, and six months later, he throws 41 touchdowns and three interceptions at, at the elite level of college football. You tell me he didn't pick up that offense quickly enough? Please, come on. The problem was Kirby was infatuated with Jake Fromm, and Jake Fromm hit his ceiling after his freshman year and never got better. And that's why they stagnated. Had he kept J- Justin Fields? Had he figured out how to keep him? Had he said, Justin, look? Look, we we you know we played poorly in 2018. We didn't do it right. The job's wide open. You can win it. If you win it, you win it. Game over. You are the starter. You should have found a way to keep it. You should have given him more time in his first year, but that's beside the point because that wasn't going to happen. So that's the problem, I think. That decision really hurt them. And then you go back to you know the the, the nightmare mess of the quarterbacks last year. When you know you know was JT Daniels healthy? Was he not. JT said he was ready to play. He says it wasn't. There was no medical issues. Kirby was talking about. He's down in the scout team throwing. He looks pretty good. Meanwhile, you got the triard guy, Steady Bennett, out there. Who's just, just in no way a guy that's going to help you beat, win big games in, in the SEC. No way. Not against Alabama. Not against Florida. Um, DeJuan Mathis is clearly overmatched. He's the guy who started the season, for God's sake. So I think you look at that and, and you wonder about the decision making. So finally. JT gets in. He clearly shows he's a guy that is worthy of that five-star ranking of a guy who was, who was just below, uh, Trevor Lawrence as far as he, when he was coming out that year, as far as the pro-style quarterbacks recruiting. Um, and, and he plays at the level you want him to play at. Suddenly your offense looks like he can throw the ball. In this past half the era of college football, you can now throw it. And you've got a guy who can make every throw and a guy who can make it on time and with anticipation. You didn't have that with Fromm. Fromm couldn't make every throw. They were up ten in that SEC championship game a year later, and they couldn't score points because the offense got stagnated because they couldn't move the ball because they couldn't throw the ball. And and the problem there again, you look at that, and that's the reason. When when you when you hit when your quarterbacks hit the ceiling, and defenses figure them out. The same defense that gave up forty four points to Clemson in that national title game basically stopped Georgia dead. So. I think now they're at a point where they have a quarterback. They're really, they're really talented across the board. You know, they got to figure out the secondary. They're going to need three new guys in the secondary. So they got to figure that out. Um, but I, I, truly believe, Connor, that they're talented enough, and they have the quarterback now in this age of offense where it's, you got to throw the ball and you got to throw it vertically that they've got a chance to win big.
0: Okay, so I get all that. I do. And as much as we love talking about this, because I agree, there's no more intriguing storyline this offseason than whether this Georgia team can get it done. I feel like the looming thing besides Kirby and the Alabama hurdle is how bad this defense has been against legitimate offenses who could stretch the field. That goes back to the 2019 SEC championship. And I remember being there and watching, you know, of course, LSU threw the ball against everyone. But in those three games that Georgia's actually faced these good passing offenses, which includes last year against Alabama and last year against Florida, they allowed four passing touchdowns in each of those games, an average of 400 passing yards and an average of 41 points. Now they have a ton of turnover in the secondary and they rank 126 out of 127 teams in percentage of returning defensive production. That's the stat that Bill Connolly does. I get now that they actually have an offense that can overcome that, but this is by no means a championship or bust defense, especially not on the back end. So like, is this the thing that we're overlooking and we're going to look back and we're going to be like, oh, DJ Uyunglele, he lit up this this defense. Emery Jones, he lit, up this, he lit up this defense. And oh, maybe even in a bowl game, Georgia's defense gets lit up again. Like, Are we... Perhaps overlooking that because the sexy off-season storyline is JT Daniels?
2: I, I think certainly it's fair question. But I also want to go back to the three teams you mentioned. LSU with, with Joe Burrow. Maybe the, maybe the greatest college football team ever. You could easily make that argument. Certainly the greatest college football offense right? ever. Then, you then you've got Alabama with Mac Jones. Maybe the greatest collection of talent other than LSU. In the last 30 or 40 years, then you've got Florida. All the all those receivers and quarterbacks in the history of Florida, and Trask sets crazy records playing an entire SEC schedule with no cream puffs, no gimme games. I think what Trask did is just so unbelievably underrated, and what those receivers and and Kyle Pitts and what they did. So those are three Mm -hmm. unique situations, all right. and by the way, that's, that's another thing with Dan, with Dan Long, which we never really got into. Dan's a great coach. That's the bottom line. Dan knows offense. And that's another reason why if you're Florida, you're saying, all right, we got to figure out how to win, make this work because the guy does as good or better than anyone in the country. That's the number one thing that's, that is now running college football. And that's offense. So anyway, back to your point. Um, those are three really, really unique situations. And I understand the fact that they failed poorly in those games, the Georgia defense. But i got to look at long-term track record with Kirby and what he does defensively, not only Georgia, but what he did with Alabama. And they have similar athletes that, they, that he had at Alabama. So i I, I got to think that at some point it's like all going to mesh up and they're not going to be in a situation where they're playing these unique, uh, you know, once in 20, 30, 40 millennia uh, um, uh, centuries type teams. And, and you know, that's that's when it all clicks. And, I, and if you look, you know, Alabama lost a lot. Certainly, they return a lot. Um, Ohio State's got a new quarterback. D, uh, DJ Uyunglele is, is, is leading Clemson, which also lost a lot offensively. So it's, I, I think it kind of sets up for Georgia right now if they can put it all together, if they have a quarterback who has that elite-type season. And that's the question, too, Connor. Can JT Daniels have that huge second-year jump like, like a Joe Burrow did at the same school? I mean, like Joe Burrow did like Kyle Trask did, can he be that guy that makes that elite jump? And if he can, then I think you're looking at a team that I, I think you play differently too, Connor, as, as a team, if you've got a guy that you know, look, everything is good, we're all good. Here's a perfect example. Like I, We're doing a, a Trevor Lawrence podcast for uh, the radio station I worked at for the Jaguars. And, and uh, we spoke with Darian Rencher, who's Trevor's best friend. And one thing that Darian Rencher said that really stuck out, was, um, by the way, listen to that podcast. To Absolutely. Podcast. Find the spot, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Basically, what we're doing was going into talking to coaches and players and how Trevor Lawrence can succeed in the NFL. Um, what what Darian Mitchell said was really interesting, where he said, when Trevor's your quarterback, there's peace on the field. Everything's good. And that's so incredibly underrated, Donner. Is his point was, the defense knew, look, we're going to play as ours again. We're going, we're going all out. We're absolutely going balls out. This is it. But if we make a mistake, we've got the eraser on the offensive end. And the offense knew, okay, here's what we're doing. We're going to go with our plan. If we do our plan and we all do what we're supposed to do, the guy behind center is going to make some huge plays. And just think about that, where, like, when you have Trevor's your quarterback, you're at peace, that's kind of what Georgia needs right now. Georgia needs a guy on offense that can say, look, whatever happens, I'm going to get you points. And then everybody starts to play off each other. So that's kind of what I think is, is, you know, dream scenario for Georgia. And, again, it's not that much of a dream because they've got talent, man. They're among the top three or four talented teams in the country. And the question is, you know, can Todd Munkin's offense, which, again, he never really got a chance to get that thing going because He's in the middle of a pandemic. He never got to literally sit down and talk with those guys. He's doing everything over Zoom. He never got his hands on with those guys. Now they've got an entire offseason where they know who their quarterback is. They're going to be throwing together. Um, you know, they, they're going to, you know, Monkey will be working for nine months with JT Daniels to get him ready for the, for the season. To me, I think it sets up perfectly for Jordan.
0: Yeah, it's like my mom when I was in third grade when she was watching my basketball games used to say that when I had the ball in my hand, she felt at peace. As a parent, so this is basically like the same sort of deal. Not to compare myself sure. to Trevor Lawrence, but you know, what, whatever. Yeah, sure, two, why it's the same. Why not? It's same. Totally <laughs> the same. So two questions. <laughs> two questions before I let you go here, uh, and you're, hit, you're hinting at one of them, but I'll do the fine bomb thing. Um, the 1980 jokes. Do they end this year?
2: Um, I don't know, man. I, don't, I, I, I think it's all going to depend on, on how well Bill O'Brien meshes with, with Nick Saban. Because Bill O'Brien is another great quarterback's teacher. And, and we know the talent Bryce Young has. So I, I think if that meshes well and Bryce Young and Bill O'Brien click, Alabama is going to be really, really hard to beat. Because, I, you know, I was saying this last year, I thought Bryce Young would eventually win that job and Mac just had a terrific season and held him off. But, man, go and watch. And we saw Bryce Young. You saw him in Alabama last year. You know, he came in and played garbage time. He's got some, he's got some ability, man. And if you don't believe it, go and watch his high school stuff. Oh.
0: Oh, it's God. absurd.
2: My God. It's 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 phenomenal. So I, I think if they mesh, Alabama's gonna be very tough to beat.
0: Last question for you. Your good friend Brett McMurphy, he reported the Nebraska trying to find out a... Ottawa- trying to find a way out of playing Oklahoma. The optics really, really bad. Even worse that Nebraska took roughly six hours to come out and be like, yeah, we actually looked into it to try and recoup some of that lost home revenue because of COVID. But the game, don't (laughs) worry, it's still happening. So one, how dumb was that? And two, Is that something that we could actually see other athletic directors try and do? Maybe especially those teams that have only the six home games. Nebraska has seven, which makes the move that much more surprising. But is that something that we could see athletic directors try and do, especially given how much these schedules were kind of in flux last year and they were to put matchups together at the very last minute? Is that a trend that we could kind of see throughout this offseason leading up to the 2021 schedule?
2: You know what, kind of, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I truly believe that really wasn't about money as much as it was about a win. They need a win. They need a win. And they're going to get annihilated by Oklahoma. So they need a win. And and I think that was more about let's schedule a win. Because right now with Frost, those fans are not happy. And and I know Bill Moose really likes Scott Frost. But they're not getting to where they think they should be. And, again, you can talk all you want about you know, expectations of Nebraska and, you know, do they realize it's not Nebraska anymore? It's not the 90s. That's fine and all that. Um, But I really think they just wanted to win. To me, to me, this whole Nebraska thing with Scott Frost just screams, this is what happens when you make a decision with your heart and not with your head. He made a decision with his heart to go to Nebraska. He should have taken the Florida job. He'd already be there right now. He'd still be there at Florida right now. He'd probably have won a championship too right now because he's a phenomenal recruiter. He's a great coach. At the end of the day, you cannot get guys in Nebraska like you used to. You can't. You cannot get the game-changing elite guys to that program. It's a great program. The fan base, Connor, is the best fan base in all of possible. The they're awesome.
0: Oh, I know. Awesome. I spent two and a half years there. I know it. Trust me.
2: It's, yeah, it's not. It's, they're just not what it was anymore. It's not It's the not yep. 90s where not everybody was on TV, and you could get guys from L.A. And from, and from New Jersey. You could get those elite guys. It's just not happening like that anymore. And, and, and Scott made a decision with his heart because he wanted to go home. But all he had to do was say, look, I've been recruiting well at UCF in the state of Florida. All I got to do is move to Gainesville, think of what I can get then. Think of what I can do there. And, and as a coach, you know, that he just made the wrong decision. That job was his. If he wanted it, he could have had that job. And it's just uh, every time I see them lose big – and every time I see him walk up, I feel like, man, what in the world is going on? I always say, dude, you made the wrong move. Just one wrong move.
0: We're going to have to do the sliding doors, Scott Frost, to Florida podcast another time. Um, <laughs> that Gosh, now, now my brain is just going all different places. This has been great stuff, Matt. Uh, I know your time is precious. But uh, yeah, we'll have to do it again real soon. I feel like there's so many other things that we can get to, but uh, yeah, we'll do it again real soon. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll be in touch, man. Will, let's close with an interesting subject for figuring it out. By the way, shout out to you for that new graphic. Um, In case you haven't seen it, go go to the image that's in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group or SDS podcast on Twitter, and you'll see a great image of uh, twenty two year old Connor and is that I was trying to guess your age. Are you sixteen in that picture? Yes,
1: I was sixteen exactly. Let me ask Ow. you what was your first reaction when I just sent you that with no context
0: um you went deep into the Facebook archives <laughs> to find that one real deep I mean, if you're going back to my days of just a shaved head we're talking we're talking eight years that was about like the last I think that was like the last six months that I went with the shaved head and then decided, hey, I'm like going to be an adult in the workplace. I should probably have an actual hairstyle, not just that of one that, you know, a second grader can, can have. And that's not to say that the shaved head is, there's nothing wrong with that. I did it for 22 years of my life. Don't get it twisted. Love the shaved head. But, you know, like there becomes a time and a place when if you have a full head of hair, you should probably use it. Just that's get a barber mental. and see,
1: that's why we're figuring it out.
0: Exactly, exactly. One of the things I figured out as an adult. Very good. Very good. So this weekend, Lauren and I like to go for a little little Saturday morning stroll, little little jog, you know, a nice way to kind of start off the weekend before we, you know, tackle to do lists, whatever the case. And we're coming back in, you know, in our like the the neighborhood that's next to, next to us. And I see across the street. And will, you've, you've probably been in a, a situation similar to this. Maybe like you're driving down the street and you see something like this, a, a hanger full of NFL jerseys. And my eye is drawn to that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, those are like legit NFL jerseys. So I come back and you know as we're like nearing the end of our run, I stop and I take a look and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, these aren't like some knockoffs from China. These still have the tags on them. They're not like manufacturers or anything like that. These are, these are real legit. So I'm I'm scrolling through and like I'm thinking this guy's gonna want like seventy bucks and he's basically gonna be like all right half price or whatever and I'm like eh no just it was fun to be able to look, and then he's like oh yeah I'm looking you know he's got like a a new like a Kyler Murray Cardinals jersey, um, and he's got like Mitch Trubisky, orange Bears yeah. jersey. And I told him I was a Bears. F- I told him I was a Bears fan. I'm like no I don't do current players in the Bears. That's just not that's not something I can do.
1: But if he had Andy Dalton would you bid on that?
0: I. <sighs> <laughs> I would have been tempted to buy it for a content-related purpose, but other than that, no, Um, can't get on board with that. Just now, now you've got me sidetracked and I'm frustrated. I instead spotted my favorite, my single favorite jersey in the NFL. It is a white retro Giants Saquon Barkley jersey. I've said before, Saquon's my guy. He's like my, he might be my favorite college football player of all time. I mean, he he really might be that for me. Just because of like when I started this job 2015, his freshman year, and got to kind of see his rise, all those different things. So I'm asking the guys like, like I'll, I'll package this if you want it with another jersey, something like that. But I thought to myself, this is like the only jersey, even though these are all like, you know, they had Bosa on, he had like Bosa with the, the old school Charger jersey as well, which is one of the best, best uniforms in all of sports as far as I'm concerned. I was like, you know what? I love this Saquon Barkley jersey. When I watch them play on like Sunday Night Football or something like that, and they're wearing those white throwbacks from the early 90s, I love the way those look. And Saquon's my guy. I wonder how much he wants for this. He's like 20 bucks. I'm like, done. Easy. Easy 20 bucks to be able to spend. So it got me thinking though, because I you know, I I, I, I put it in the closet and I'm kind of like going through my closet and I'm thinking about I really haven't bought, I haven't bought a jersey in I think six years before that or five years maybe. Um, I had a buddy who had like a hookup that was able to get me an Andrew Luck Colts jersey. Not even like a diehard Colts fan, whatever kind of secondary team. That's beside the point. But I was thinking I haven't paid more than probably 20 bucks in that instance for a jersey in eight or nine years. And I think I paid like 50 bucks for this um, Ernie Banks retro jersey that was at the Hall of Fame gift shop and I was able to get like an employee discount when I interned there that summer but basically I realized I have all these jerseys I haven't bought them in a while but I still like them and I wonder why it is I feel a certain way about buying jerseys now as someone who's on the wrong side of 30 and who is an adult and it kind of got me thinking, yeah, people have different ways of evaluating jerseys and the need for in their lives. I actually wore a jersey this past weekend. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably saw this. Uh, I got a fe- I have a Phoenix Suns Jason Kidd jersey that's just straight fire. I've um, been rocking that for a long time. It's my go-to tank for any sort of like beach slash water activities. I'm, I'm a big basketball jersey to the beach guy because it's like the best tank that you have in your wardrobe. And,
1: so you were, you, were you rocking like the Jonah Hill look?
0: Um, better, better than the Jonah Hill look because I didn't have it tucked into dress pants. True. Um, so, so that's, that's the good news. I was wearing it with appropriate, um, lower half attire. So that was, that was a good thing, but I was kind of thinking like, I don't even know what my policy is on jerseys anymore. So I wanted to be able to take this to the Facebook group, but before we get to a lot of great comments and feedback in the Facebook group, Will, do you have a, a specific policy when it comes to jerseys or is it just kind of like a gut feel for you?
1: So I'm realizing apparently I'm just I'm just a menace when it comes to this stuff as I'm as I'm reading these comments. So back like right when I started at my new jobs after I left SDS like full time, I was like kind of dressing like a rapper from like 05. So I would always, (laughs) so I would always wear like throwback. Like I had an Odell Beckham high school jersey with like some big old clunky like Jordan 11s. And like, I was just like, I'm like, dang, bro. Like I'm the exact guy they're making fun of. Or I was. Uh, I think think I've changed a lot during the pandemic. um, Because yeah, like I'll say this. You're right. Like beach attire. Festivals, that's where you break out. Like, like Brittany gave me a um, an LSU throwback Shaq jersey. Like, I cannot wait. Ooh. I cannot wait, bro, for the first um, festival. And, you know, I in my abbey for Facebook, I'm wearing, like, a Drew Holiday jersey at, like, a Wayne concert. So, yeah, I'll say I don't...
0: That's like the most New Orleans thing you've ever said, right? There. Oh,
1: yes. I mean, the, the classic like Mardi Gras, Drew Holiday jersey. And he's a guy that, you know, he could do, you know, anything within reason, you know, on the court and we'd still love him. But you're absolutely right, man. It's, it's throwbacks. It's classic players. It's guys whose legacy can't be impacted because I don't know what I'm going to do with my Anthony Davis jersey.
0: Yeah, that's, so that's that's the tough thing. And I think, and that's something that that we got to in the Facebook group with with some of these comments and how it feels with current players because I have definitely, I I made that pivot a while ago to where for the most part, I'm not at least buying current players of the team that I root for. I feel like that, that has set me up for failure in the past. Now I did have, uh, my brother got me, got me and Lauren both. Uh, One of our wedding presents was uh, Kyle Schwarber jerseys for the Cubs. That, that was a tough pill to swallow this past year. Very, very tough pill when he's, no longer with the Cubs, and they decide to pay Jock Peterson even less money. But that's neither here nor there. Um, not bitter about that at all. But there are so many different ways in which you can go with this. So I, I've, I've teased this long enough. Let's go to the Facebook group. Um, Jay Woody. Let's start with Jay Woody. He says, Yep. I can, And I basically asked, like, what's your policy on, on wearing jerseys? What's just kind of your overall thought process, your approach to all of them? Jay Woody says, yep, I can and do love to wear them. I like repping the player more than the team, actually. Like, I'd wear a Jalen jersey, Jalen Hurts, if it was Bama, Oklahoma, or Philly. Okay, we probably figured it out by context clues. I didn't need to add that in there. But Jay brings up an interesting point because... If you're repping your specific team then you know it doesn't necessarily bother you as much if like the player gets traded depending on how he goes but being like being in that spot where you just say i want to represent a player and i have no problem kind of where he goes jay had the thought process that i had with this saquon jersey of even if saquon gets traded and he's not with the giants I'll still rep that guy because I think he's awesome. And I just think he's fun to watch. I don't really care what happens. And it's not so much about the team. It's just that I'm repping the individual. Is that is that fair? Do you kind of are you kind of in that same thought process? No,
1: the interesting thing he said was the Oklahoma jersey. That takes a bigger man than than me. You know, if, if someone transferred off of one of my teams like that, I mean granted, Jalen's mm. a little bit special because he kind of was given the blessing. But yeah, a rival college jersey, I think, is a tough pill to swallow for me
0: yeah although oklahoma hasn't been good enough to be alabama's rival we can say that matthew Sedro, he says oh and he's got a great picture to go with this as well uh i'm probably in the minority here but there are definitely some situations where wearing a jersey is perfectly acceptable as an adult but i think it's a few specific scenarios The first is just any college kid ever. It's culturally acceptable in college and everyone does it. He's exactly right. But as soon as you graduate, no more jerseys as casual wear. After college, you can only only wear jerseys if you are going to be at the sporting event and going all out for, as in big nut at Ohio State. Full getup, face paint, props, everything. There are several New Orleans Saints fans who pull off the jersey look very well with the rest of their costume. Uh, whistle monster pictured here if you're not in the Facebook group. This is a New Orleans Saints fan who is wearing a helmet and the world's biggest whistle is also attached to said helmet. He added this as well. Um, my fiance gets me a jersey of a player that I like for every special occasion, birthday, anniversary, etc. And I collect jerseys of my favorite players almost like baseball cards. So I have tons of them, but rarely wear them post undergrad. That that's like, that's very much me in a lot of different ways. Not my, my wife doesn't like buy me a bunch of jerseys because I mean, in her perfect world, I'd get rid of all of them. I've gotten rid of some, but I, I've become more of a collector than a wearer. And those are two very different things when it comes to jerseys. And I like being able to kind of look at them in my closet know that they're there if I'm ever in that situation. But yeah, I mean, after you graduate, it does, it does kind of shift a little bit. It does kind of shift. It's weird. It's so weird. Oh, and Brittany added, um, Brittany added, uh, your fiance sounds fantastic. It'll be super cool to see your collection after 15 years together. You, actually, you should tweet that out. When we have, Or we should post that in the Facebook group. 15 years, set that date. We want to see Matthew Sedro's closet, what it looks like with all those jerseys. I'm sure it's spectacular. I'm sure it's really good. Um, Jeff Jensen, he says, wearing them to the appropriate sporting event is acceptable, as part of an everyday wardrobe, it's not. Every hockey game I go to, if you're not in a jersey, then you're the odd man out. Jeff is one hundred percent right. One hundred percent right. If there is ever, and they call it sweaters in hockey, they call it sweaters. If there is ever a place to rep a jersey slash sweater, whatever you want to call it, 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 that that's it. I bought a Jonathan Taves jersey. Um, what was that? That would have been like. Oh, actually I got that for I got that for a birthday present. I got that for a birthday present like 2013, so like right in the midst of Blackhawks mania, dynasty, and I have yet to go to a Blackhawks game to be able to wear it. Now I've found other excuses to wear it, but I've probably only worn that jersey like four times because I mean, I'm not happy Gilmore. I can't just wear hockey jerseys wherever I go. I just can't do it. I can't do it.
1: The best way about that was they asked Mike Scott back when he played for the Sixers, I believe, because he wore hockey jerseys every day, a different hockey jersey every day. And people were like, what's the story here? He's like, I don't even watch hockey. Hockey sweaters look sick, man.
0: <laughs> they are. And, and you could make a case. They're, they're the best jerseys that, that there are. The hand-stitched ones, I, I think, are just – I mean, I have one. Okay, so one of my go-tos, Matthew Sidro talks about wearing jerseys in college. One of my go-to looks in college, and this is something that we didn't really get into in the Facebook group, but we probably should bring up. The Goodwill Jersey find is incredible, incredible. There was one time where, I think it was going into my sophomore year of college, my buddies and I went to Goodwill, scoured the racks as one does, looking for the best discount buys. And I come across a Habs jersey, a Montreal Canadiens jersey, and it's, it's red, and yeah, it's like it's used, doesn't fit me perfectly per se. But every single time I go, I went to like a jersey party in high school or like, or not in high school, I definitely wasn't that kind of high school. But in college, or if I went to a tailgate and I and I busted that out, I started wearing a different jersey every single tailgate that we had actually. That that always got a lot of compliments. And to, to a certain extent, isn't that why you wear a jersey? Like, Will, have you worn jerseys sometimes being like, I hope the random stranger comes up to me and tells me how great this thing is.
1: See, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Like, whenever, like, working at Atlanta, I will just constantly wear Saint stuff, or I used to. That's what I'm saying. I'm reformed. After reading this thread, I'm reformed. Because it used. To, I had a Michael Thomas jersey when he had that OPY season. And you're absolutely right. There's no better feeling in the world when you do perfectly pull off that jersey. Like like I said, with the OBJ, when one time somebody walked up and was like, wow, that's an OBJ high school jersey. I
0: mean, I would compliment you on that. Because you're going deep into the archives. You can't just buy that off the lid at, at Champs or something like that, or, or, or go to Dick's and get that. That. you're you're doing your homework to be able to get that people who actually like no jerseys and no sports you're going to get people that come up to you i for the longest time i wanted a laney high school michael jordan jersey mm-hmm. never got it never got it still you know never say never that could be good beach attire but the high school jersey man that's that's respect that's respect Brittany says, I would find it strange to see an adult wearing a jersey as casual wear. I personally don't find them to be super comfortable. So if I'm not raging at a game and showing my support, then I'm not wearing it. She's right. They're not comfortable for the most part, for the most part. Even when I wear the Jason Kidd jersey to the beach, it still has like the lettering. It's got the old school Champion logo on the shoulder. Shout out to Champion, by the way. They're still, they're not bankrupt
1: yet, are they? Oh, dude, Champion made a huge comeback, like right pre-pandemic. They
0: were putting out some fire. Oh, good for them. Good for them. Good for them. But she's right. It's, it's not always the most comfortable thing to wear. So yeah, it does take the right sort of setting. Jesse Foley says, if you like wearing a jersey and it makes you happy, then do it. Okay. This is the conclusion that I've come to after reading so many of these. It's about how it makes you feel. It is 100% about how it makes you feel. I don't like that (laughs) for a bit. So I actually have a Cam Newton jersey as well. Cam Newton Panthers jersey that I just, I came across. A buddy had it. Um, A mutual friend of ours actually had that jersey and and gifted it to me. Um, But I was just like, "I I love this jersey. It's really cool. It's cool colors. You know, I also envision this this day in this scenario in which (laughs) I'll be able to have a man cave in which I hang all my jerseys up, and that'd be a cool one to be able to hang, like SEC legend, you know, whatever. So um, I envision this world in which, like, I'm gonna wear a Cam Newton jersey all the time, and I wore it once, and it was the NFC Championship, and I went over to my buddy's house. The buddy gave me the jersey. Um, I had no rooting interest for the Panthers whatsoever or anything like that. But I was just like, I'm. I don't think I'm ever gonna wear this. I, I don't really have a lot of scenarios. I, a lot of my social circles, like, I just to show up wearing a Cam Newton jersey, they'd be like, Why are you wearing a Cam Newton jersey? And that wouldn't make me feel good. And so that's why I wouldn't necessarily want to go down that road. Now I could wear it to the grocery store, but then in the back of my mind, I'd be like, All right, what's my what's my motivation for repping Cam Newton today? What am I what am I going for right now? But Jesse's Jesse is is spot on here. If it makes you feel happy, and if it makes you feel a certain way a sense of pride, or if you just want to be able to represent a, a certain person, then you know, there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I'm perfectly, perfectly fine with that. For all the rules that we're going to kind of talk about here, and we're going to get into some of the rules here. Michael Darkey says, I've always said that wearing a jersey of a player younger than you is weird. If, a, if I wear a jersey on game day, it's either one without a name on the back or a throwback to one of my favorite players growing up. This is something that a lot of people believe in. And, and it's true that it does kind of feel weird if you're, I've had that thought as well, if I'm gonna buy a jersey of, of, a, of a new NFL player to wear now I'm like 10 years older than them, and I've had that thought cross the back of my mind of, am I, am I too old to be doing this, to be like rooting for this, this person, especially now when most professional athletes are younger than me, I still have not fully accepted that. A lot of people believe in this though. A lot of people, and there's, there's some crossover as Michael brings up. It kind of goes along with adults heckling a kid's school choice online. Usually it's a bad look. Uh, look, I'm not saying there's entirely overlap with those areas because there's a lot of people that rep jerseys of people who are younger than them that don't harass kids on the internet and I would not recommend doing that. But Will, has that thought ever crossed your mind of am I too old to wear this jersey or has that held you back from a jersey purchase? That's
1: no, that one's really interesting. I think every sport is a little bit different. I think for college, like the last name college jersey I'm ever going to buy is the Joe Burrow jersey. And we're like close enough in age to where it's not that weird because he's old. Like True. he's almost my yeah. age. Um yeah, no, I think it's it's you know, no names on college jerseys. But then, you know, if you get a guy like, you know, Zion or Derek Rose when he was coming up, I mean like mm-hmm. I, I feel like in the NBA it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, but then the question is, you know, once you start getting up there in your fifties and sixties, maybe it's weird. I don't know. I, I well, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it.
0: I, I've always thought I wasn't gonna be the fifty-year-old guy wearing the jersey, but the more I think about it, if I really like someone, who cares? Who cares? I'm perfectly fine with that. I I definitely more of the I'm gonna buy the legend just from an investment standpoint. I think that's a little bit easier to get behind. Their legacy is is already set in stone pretty much. Like, I'm buying an Ernie Banks jersey. Ernie Banks isn't going to go out and do something that's going to be problematic. Nothing about his his relationship with Cubs is going to change or anything like that. Like, I'm not going to necessarily have to worry about that. Where if you're buying a jersey of like a 23-year-old and then they get cut because there's like some leaked video that comes out of them, you're like, well, crap, I just invested $100 into a jersey for them. But I don't know. That thought has crossed my mind a little bit. And there's part of me that... When I had the Andrew Luck, when I you know would rep the Andrew Luck jersey, and I'll still probably wear that every now and then. I actually wear that to the airport when I go to Indianapolis, so that my father-in-law, when he picks me up, doesn't see me wearing a Cubs shirt and he doesn't want to give me crap about that. But that's a different topic for a different time. But I do have this thought process of, oh, Andrew Luck's the same age as me, so that's perfectly fine. And I don't know why. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I just I think too, I get too in my head about about jerseys, and I'm sure many people have experienced that as well.
1: But there's nothing cooler than if you buy into an athlete like those guys that you'll see wearing rookie dirt jerseys, you know, deep mm. into his career. That's why, yeah. you know, whenever you get a guy that you think is a star, I would grab a jersey year one. Then that way, 10 years from it, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm an OG fan.
0: Okay, that's that's a good perspective as well. Like buy when they get their rookie deal as opposed to, the big contract extension, which sometimes you think to yourself, this person just got signed to a new deal. But then in the NFL, especially like, they can get cut two years later. I bought a Matt Forte jersey back in the day after he got his big deal. I actually got pretty good use out of that because he stayed around longer than most would. But it kind of got me thinking, well, I feel a little bit late on this. Like people were a little bit high on him earlier, but there is a sense of pride probably that you would have if you bought the jersey of a rookie and then you were kind of like early on that it's risky at the same time because you know you can flame out and you know you never know but at the same time i I think that that's that's not a bad approach to have at all um christopher i'm gonna butcher your last name christopher i'm sorry man christopher Saker? saker it's one of those cz's that always throws me off Um, my only opinion here is that people who feel strongly about other adults wearing jerseys need to get a life we're all fans of certain teams and certain players there's no reason to pretend we aren't just because we're a certain age I've got 25 jerseys in my closet and I wear all of them regularly except for my Kyrie Irving Celtics jersey because he's a dink um, he also adds, they're a great icebreaker. Wear a random jersey to the grocery store and see how many people strike up a conversation with you about that player or team. He is 100% right about that. At the grocery store, more than anywhere else, is the place where you are going to get people who take a genuine interest in that. One time, I wore a Bears hat to to the grocery store. And I'm walking past the produce, um, the produce aisle. And this guy is sitting in a wheelchair. I'm walking past him. And he says... Bears haven't been good since 85. <laughs> I was so shook. I had no idea what to say in that exact moment. And I thought to myself, man, if I were wearing a Bears jersey, this guy would have just full-on tripped me or something like that. But it was, it was an icebreaker, and I still remember that. So it was fun times. Um, no judgment here. No judgment here. Will and I, we both are jersey owners. We just want to understand maybe if there's a right or wrong way to feel about it as, as an adult because uh, sometimes you're right. It is that great icebreaker. And then other times, you, you get maybe a little bit more self-conscious as an adult. Your wardrobe's a little bit more unlimited. And you don't want to have people wondering like, why you're wearing a specific jersey to a specific event.
1: I'll say real quick, there's, I've really never made fun of anyone for anything like that. There is one exception. There is a person on Orlando Magic Twitter who has a Mario Hizonia signature tattoo. That is a different conversation, but that is about the only thing I've ever been like, wow. <laughs>
0: okay, so are we talking visible or is it the Kevin Durant business tattoos? No,
1: it's it's like arm.
0: Oh, man. You just got to hope at that point technology catches up. <laughs> we, we We eventually are going to figure out a safe and healthy way to get rid of tattoos and people don't if if you're thinking oh there already is a safe way it's totally you know it's totally 100% bulletproof i've seen the episode of shark tank i'm not trusting that stuff i can't do it i can't do it there's still regrettable tattoos i have a mario hazonia cup that my cat drinks out of so that just goes to show you how i feel about that one of those stadium cups back in the day those things are great they're massive Um, Derek Walden says, I'm not an actual jersey fan. They're just goofy. I prefer the t-shirt jersey. I do have a Browns Nick Chubb t-shirt jersey. I have shifted more so to t-shirts. I am currently wearing a Seattle Supersonics t-shirt. Shout out to my guys over at Homage. I love t-shirts because I can wear them. I feel like everywhere. And I don't ever have that moment of like, Am I, like, repping a little bit too hard right now? Is this is this not necessarily – like, if we're going to – I don't know. If we're going to hang out with, like, two or three friends in their backyard, like, do I really need to be wearing this, like, authentic NFL jersey for this situation in which it's – like, it's a random Friday night. We're not going to watch a game or anything like that. Um, t-shirts, I love. I can't get enough of – the the retro logos, I'm big on that, big on the all the NBA Jam stuff that Homage cranks out. I know we've shared a common interest in that as well. But have you, given the investment of what it takes for a t-shirt as opposed to a jersey, have you found yourself saying at any point, you know, I could just be a t-shirt guy moving forward?
1: Yeah, no, I think... I think they do a good job. Homefield does a good job, and you're right. Like we're moving into Mm. the next level of sports attire, where it's like you could pull off a sick T-shirt, or like you said, the Sonics. It's always great to go classic teams like that, and I think that's like slowly replacing the
0: jersey in a way. In a way, definitely in a way. Just because you can, you can wear it any time of year. If I showed up on the podcast today wearing my Cam Newton jersey, what what would be your first thing that you would say?
1: Um. How did you get duped into buying a Camp Newton jersey? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying so hard to break out this Camp Newton jersey. Next time we hang out, wear that. And I'll wear a random jersey. And we'll just look lost. <laughs> on,
0: the, on the back, on the back, like where it has the the collar, it's got the keep pounding thing. Yeah. It's, it's a legit. It's really nice. It's really really nice. But I just, I just don't have the use for it. Whereas like I can throw on a Seattle Super Sox T-shirt or. You know, I can throw on a Horace Grant t-shirt and, you know, I can wear that in everyday casual conversation. And it's like, oh, hey, yeah, that's just like, that's a t-shirt. People wear comic book t-shirts. People buy the $6 video game t-shirts that you see at Target. Like those things, those things play. I have a, a one of my cousins who's like 45, still wears those all the time. And that's just, that's part of it. It's accepted in a different sort of way. Uh, let's see. We've got, okay, this, this one from Ryan Hunter. We'll end with this one. We'll end with this. He says, if you are a new fan, stick to recent greats. But if you are a diehard, I'm on team obscure jerseys for lifelong fans. Yes, sir. For example, he says, I have a Joey Harrington Detroit Lions jersey. That, my friends, that, that is a collector's item. That, that is the type of thing that you wear and I don't know how many situations you can pull off the Joey Harrington Detroit Lions jersey. You probably are just going to wear that with a buddy, with your buddies, and every single time you wear it, you're going to get a really good laugh. But I like the obscure jerseys as well. I, there's John Greenberg who writes for uh, for the Athletic who covers um, Chicago, all of Chicago sports. He always will like will go to Cubs games, and he makes it his mission to spot all the obscure jerseys. And he'll go out and like if this guy was on a team on a team with For two months and was one of those like last second deadline deals. He's going to find whoever's repping that specific jersey. I don't have any particular obscure jersey. And I wish I did. Like if I could get, and I I said in the comments, if I can get my hands on like a Mike Piazza Marlins jersey, Patrick Ewing Magic jersey, that, that right there, you, you need not think twice about that. You wear that all the time because that that's a fine that that is something worth collecting. Will, that's my way of asking you. Do you have any obscure jerseys that you'd like to get out there?
1: Obscure jerseys not so much. Like I said, Drew Holiday is probably the most obscure thing I have. Um, I have that that LSU baseball jersey that y'all saw me in, but no, no nobody
0: weird. I need to, that needs to be the next one. Obscure jerseys you have to come across. Like you're not like you said, they're not sold anymore if you're purchasing them now the chances are if you bought one back in the day and it became obscure over time that's that's a little bit different but if i could go to like there's a there's a place down here in orlando in uh, in college park that has these these retro jerseys for like 40 50 bucks i could find like a, a a brian shaw magic jersey oh yeah i would wear that i would wear that that would get a lot of beach attire just pretty much any 90s jersey john Paxson bulls jerseys i had i had a moment there was like a targeted ad on fanatics where there was a bj armstrong bulls jersey that was i think it was like a hundred bucks but i thought long and hard about it because it was reduced price but i couldn't quite do that I, i don't know if that qualifies entirely as obscure he did win three championships people forget that but i don't think there's a wrong way to go about jerseys and i hope hopefully we didn't cast too much judgment here but I think, it's, I think it's just a, a great topic that, depending on what situation you're in, maybe it depends on your social situation, it just makes you feel a different way. you know Everybody kind of has their, their own deal with it. But great, great topic. Thank you for all of the responses on that. If you have not, and trust me when I say I love getting these, we absolutely love getting these, If you have not left us a five-star review, please go on iTunes and do that. Subscribe to this podcast. Go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Put your email address in, as I say, each and every week. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored wherever you get your podcasts. We have so much March Madness coverage that's going to be coming down the pipe on SDS. Adam Spencer, as I say all the time, does such a great job with starting five. We've got kind of an all-hands-on-deck sort of approach right now. I'm going to be cranking out basketball stories I'm sure that Michael Bratton's going to be having all sorts of basketball news stories up on the site as well. Our entire team will just be crushing it that much, I know. We've got baseball coverage coming from Joe Cox. SDS, one-stop shop, can't say it enough. Enjoy the NCAA tournament this weekend. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.